Hi friends! Welcome to our first Reading Minds book club. It is May 2018 and the book we've decided to read is Persuasion by Jane Austen. I'm here with my two closest friends Shannon and Susie and I will let them introduce themselves a little bit. Um, they'll tell you a little bit about what books they like to read, what edition of Persuasion that they read, and I had them pick a tea to drink because that seemed like the Jane Austen thing to do this morning. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy our discussion on persuasion. which is actually a Swedish tea that I purchased when I was abroad. It's really delicious and black and yummy. And I love to read YA and also currently reading a lot of mystery books. Uh, I'm trying to read through all of Agatha Christie's books, and it's definitely a challenge, but I love her writing, so it's really fun. And the edition I read at Persuasion was the 2007 Barnes & Noble edition. And this edition was interesting because it has all seven major Jane Austen novels in it. And I actually liked reading that in that uh, edition because I'd actually previously read two of her novels in that edition, and it's kind of, like, fun to see, you know, the different lengths of the different novels, and they have some stuff about, you know, like when they were all published, and it's just, like, interesting to see the different kinds and lengths of her novels. And so that's a little bit about me. Susie, Hi! My name is Susie Herman. I'm a recent college graduate. I really like to sing and study literature of all languages. The tea that I'm drinking is English breakfast because we're reading an English book and we're talking about it at breakfast time. <laughs> the edition that I read was the 2003 Penguin Classic, but I also utilized the Project Gutenberg edition online. Project Gutenberg is this great service where anyone, anywhere, at no cost, and really with very little restrictions, um, get to read things that no longer have um, copyright on it. It was really easy to go back and forth because they have all the links for all the chapters, and so I kind of hopped back and forth. I really, really like to read historical fiction. And my second favorite genre is science fiction. And that is just a little bit about me. And I am Annie. I read the annotated edition of Persuasion, which was annotated and edited by David M. Shepard. And I thought it was really cool reading it this way because I was able to pick up on a lot of the cultural context and a little bit about Jane Austen's life that I wouldn't have necessarily known otherwise if you want to like learn while you're reading I think it's a good way to do that but it does kind of interrupt the plot a little bit so if you are just reading for the story this might be a little bit frustrating for you um, but I really enjoyed it and I am drinking 
um, a tea by Artemis Teas, which is a local Omaha tea company, and they focus on making healthy teas. And I am drinking a tea called The Huntress, which is a little darker and earthier. It's really good. It's a little spicy, but not quite a chai. It's good. I like it. All right, so are we ready to get into the book? Yay! Yay! Um, so, oh, where did it go? Oh, no. Where did my notes go? Okay, so I had all of us write out a one-sentence summary of the book. Um, I can share mine first. So this isn't supposed to be, like, exhaustive of what the book's about or anything, but it's just what we took from it as being, like, the most important ideas or the bare minimum of the plot and stuff like that. So this is my sentence. In a society where a person's character is defined first by social class, Anne Elliot reunites with a man who, though initially considered an unwise match, never released his grip on her heart. So that's my oh. sentence. My oh. sentence is not as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. My, that was really good, Annie. Thank you. Yay! The plot. Mine's not going to be as good. <laughs> Um, which may be a run-on, so I'm sorry for all the literary people out there, it's is fine. that persuasion is a more mature version of the marriage plot present in many of Jane Austen's books. And, like Annie said, is has past love, and then she is reunited, and at the end, they become one. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you talked about, like, all of... Jane Austen's other book, so that was a cool point. Okay, so my sentence is probably <laughs> going to sound bad because um, no, it won't. More, um, I don't know. You'll see. So I said, sometimes when listening to others' advice, their voices crowd and drown out your own voice, which ends up leading you to not listen to your gut and be persuaded to think something of someone or make a choice that you wouldn't make of your own volition. Ooh. I like the soul behind your I like it. You want a very different direction. It was like, you know, the general gist of what I got from the book, but also it was kind of like a lesson that I got from the book, because I feel like Jane Austen's novels often are supposed to be, I don't know, teaching people, like, you know, Pride and Prejudice, like, Mm -hmm. don't let your pride or your prejudice get in the way of, like, getting to know, you know, like, stuff like that. So I kind of felt like... Hit the moral of the story. I kind of like how Jane Austen sort of puts her message or the moral as the title. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it, like, easy <laughs> to figure <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> sensibility. You know, just, like, this book is about persuasion. And it, actually, when you're reading it, you kind of forget about it sometimes. That's, yeah. like, the main, one of the main themes. But mm-hmm. it's just, like, persuasion. Whenever I, like, read the word persuasion in the book, I was like, ooh, that's important. <laughs> so... I mean, I I won't, like, get too much into it, but I think the thoughts behind my sentence were, like, her obviously getting persuaded not to marry Wentworth, and then later on, uh, then being persuaded again that Elliot, like, wasn't a bad guy when, like, in truth he was, and Mm -hmm. he was, like, hiding that. So I think there was, like, a lot of examples in the book of that over and over, of, like, you know, like, being persuaded by other people isn't, like, necessarily the best and 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 we'll get to this but like you know like Anne kept 
over and over again being like cautious around Elliot and like unsure of you know who he really was and like she had you know every right in the end we learned to have done that so it's yeah. that's kind of I think persuasion can be a good thing like I think one of the very first instances of persuasion in the book is when um Anne is trying to convince her father like no you're being totally fiscally irresponsible you have to you have to move out. We need to change our life. We need to move. And she did persuade him to do that. Mm-hmm. That was a- So I had you pick out three of your favorite characters besides Anne, just to make it more difficult. <laughs> and then it three. Because I kept wanting to say Yeah. And then three of your least favorite characters besides Mr. Elliot. That was easy. <laughs> okay, okay. So Shannon, do you want to go first for your favorites? So I think my favorite character, my first favorite character, other than obviously Anne, um, was going to be, from the start, Lady Russell, because even though technically, you know, she gave Anne advice to not, you know, follow her heart and marry the guy she really liked, um, she was doing it from a place of love and um, trying to do what was best for her, and I think it was really cool to hear about, you know, like, why she was so invested in uh, Anne and like the rest of the two daughters' lives, the Elliots, because you know it, it was her mom's best friend. She was her mom's best friend, and she, her mom, like asked Anne's mom asked you know Lady Russell to go on and um, care for the daughters. You know if she mm-hmm. were to pass away, um, as you know she would do of her like, own flesh, essentially. And you really see that play out in the book. And I, I thought that was an amazing relationship to see. And I loved Lady Russell because it seemed like she was the only person out of Anne's family who really, you know, <laughs> listened to Anne at all. Everyone else kind of just that didn't really give her any time of day and credence or anything. So I, I felt like Lady Russell did, did that and um, really had a great relationship with Anne, and I, I love seeing that. Um, obviously, another one of my favorites is Captain Wentworth, because he's like the dreamy sailor or whatever. I was like picturing Orlando Bloom the whole time. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's like, he's an example of what humans often are when they've been wronged. He was a bit prideful and had some disdain for Anne because, you know, she broke his heart. Mm -hmm. But like as time went on, you could see his true character coming out and how he felt for her, even though he was like trying to hide it and, you know, still not like her or whatever. Like, you know, he, you saw him insisting her, um, riding back in the carriage with like the Crofts later on after they had taken a long walk and like, you know, he, like, didn't rub his wealth in people's faces, even though he had every right to, because, you know, people like Anne's family had, like, once upon a time sneered at him and, like, rejected him, and he could have been, like, rejecting them at one point when they invited him over, and, you know, he wasn't, he didn't do any of that. He was very, you know, gentlemanly and, you know, everything that you want to see in a man of his age and really any guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my last favorite character was actually Mrs. Smith. And this one was a toss up because it was between the like Admiral Croft and Mrs. Smith. But I chose her because I, I thought this is going to sound interesting, but I kind of liked that she was like kind of playing the system a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, she was going to like go, I mean, she was in a horrible situation, obviously with her health and whatnot, but I thought it was kind of interesting how she like was, you know, on one hand being like, Oh, you're going to marry Mr. Elliot. Okay. Like, um, <laughs> 
I'm all for that. But then, like, once, you know, Anne was like, nope, not having that, she was willing to, you know, tell her the truth and, like, the horrible part of her past that, like, you know, had to do with Elliot. And I think I'm kind of okay that she sort of played the Anne system, so to speak. She was willing to put her friend's happiness above her own to an extent. Um, But she was in this horrible circumstance, and I think it's funny that she enjoyed hearing town gossip. Um, but I was really happy that she revealed, like, Elliot for being the scum he was, and I liked her because if Anne was going to marry Elliot, she would have been happy for her, but if not, then she was gonna, you know, dish how this guy fraud and needed to be exposed and was harmful for her family, so I kind of liked that it was, like, she was putting her friend's interest above her mm-hmm. own. I feel like she was really good friends because of that. Yeah. Like, even if she wouldn't agree with her decision, she said, mm-hmm. like, respect it. I actually had Admiral Croft and his wife. Okay, they were, yes. that, that was my toss-up. I was Well, I'm really happy that you talked about Mrs. Smith because I wanted to do the Admiral. Um, but, like, Captain Wentworth, in a word, dreamy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Yes, like, I think that, like, Jane Austen is just so good at capturing, like, it sounds weird, but, like, the woman's dream. Yeah. <laughs> like, a man who's, like, well-mannered, well-educated, and, like, a man that values a strong woman. Mm-hmm. I think it's so incredibly attractive, and I think lots of women know themselves from the ground. Because it's in all of her books. <laughs> um, and then I also just loved Lady Russell for the pretty much the same reasons that Shannon said. Um, even though, you know, like, her decision to be at the very beginning, um, was it a good decision? We can talk about that later. But it was from love, you know? Like, she was young, and I think that she just had, she really valued Anne, like Shannon said, in a way that no one else, like, really did. Like, mm-hmm. it's been a long time. Like, I mean, obviously, Captain Wentworth eventually did. But, like, you know. Um, he did the whole time. He just, like, wasn't. Paul and his wife love mm-hmm. i think that they it's such a cool example how in a time where social climbing and just merit is so important like i love like the wife almost like more than the admiral i don't yeah. know i like the turning camera sophia like sophia Croft. i just love that she went on the boat like with her husband she is so strong-minded mm-hmm. and just like, like, they loved each other so much. They seemed like people that, like, if I was their neighbors, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I want to be invited <laughs> to their house. Yeah, you know what, what I, I loved about them, it was, like, they were one character. Like, when yeah. I was writing down yeah. characters, I was, like, the Crofts. It wasn't yeah. ever one or the other. They are just, like, together. Yeah. They're, like, the ideal married yeah. couple. Exactly. The Admiral totally valued his wife mm-hmm. when you all that in, like, every encounter they had. And, yeah, I mentioned, I wrote that down, too, where it was, like, even on the list of characters, like, I mean, because we, I think I looked at, like, Wikipedia just to see what it would say about persuasion. And the list of characters are Admiral and Mrs. Croft. Yeah, it's never uh, one or the other. It's not, yeah, it's, like, both together. Mm-hmm. So, I, think, I, I completely agree with you. I think um, another thing I really liked about him was the fact, or both of them, really, was that they, like, knew, she knew her brother so well, and she's like, no, like, this girl isn't good enough for him. Like, about, like, the... Musgrove's girls like she knew and I think that was like so intuitive and like really interesting that she like knew her brother so well she knew like 
you know, from whatever, when I, from the outside perspective, like, these seem like great girls, but then, like, she, like, knew, mm-hmm. and, like, also how, you know, they were just continuously talking to Anne, and, like, Admiral Croft would often, like, save Anne when she was just by herself, and, like, no one was there, mm-hmm. or talking to her, or paying attention to her, he would, like, come and, like, talk to her, so I think that yeah. also was, I really yeah. They're very intuitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just really, I think that Jane Austen creates these incredible characters in every single book. It makes you want to be in the world because of the characters that she creates. Mm-hmm. And I think she's really good at not only creating like amazing characters that you love and really want to meet, but she's also great at creating characters that hate and that you know, you're supposed to hate, and yeah. that you're supposed to be like, no, you shouldn't be like this. This is like how no one, she has like little lessons throughout her book. Look at how this person is. Look how everyone's annoyed by them. Like, don't be don't like do that. The theme of like the silly parents, mm-hmm. I think it's prevalent throughout all of her books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You really want it. Whenever I read a Jane Austen book, because there are these characters that come up in every single book, I wonder what her parents were like. Yeah, I would say that there are really funny characters. Well, her father was, like, a pastor, I think. Yeah, some kind of, like, clergyman. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, it's funny because I think different books have different silly parents because, I mean, I think Pride and Prejudice is the obvious example, Mm -hmm. but I think if you've read more than just, you know, her, I guess, really well-known Pride and Prejudice I mean, if you look at Emma, I mean, her father's pretty silly, but not in, like, a bad way. He's just, like, a hypochondriac, <laughs> and it's really <laughs> funny. It's more of just, like, humorous rather than, like, oh, this is a horrible thing. The silly parent doesn't mean sometimes that they're bad yeah. parents. Right. And this does. Right. But, like, <laughs> but in all of her books, like, being, like, whimsical or, yeah, like, having the sense of humor that, like, Mr. Bennett has, like, it doesn't mean that, like, they're inherently bad. It's just different. So who is your third favorite Yeah, did you have a third? Oh, mine was Wentworth, um, Lady Russell. Oh, okay. My, like, absolute favorite character was Captain Benwick. Um, Mm. I mean, I don't know. I just really love, like, the raw emotion. I don't know. And, like, the fact that he was, like, a little more, like, dramatic, I guess. And, like, he had been through a lot. Like, he lost his fiance, and the fact that he was, like, trying to get over it, and the fact that he, you know, did get over it eventually because of Louisa. <laughs> I just I just loved him just for who he was, I guess. Because um, it's not like he was in the book a whole lot, but I just Literally loved him. Too. Yeah. He cared tons about poetry and whatnot, yeah. and I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I just thought it was interesting with him and Anne interacting and how, like, they both had these kind of similar paths, but Captain Benwick went kind of a darker path, I guess, and then Anne just kind of, like, like pushed through it. So I just thought that was really cool. And then Lainey Russell was my second favorite because of obvious reasons, everything we just talked about. And also the fact that she, like, she saw so much of their mother in Anne, and that was, like, her whole plan for Anne's life was to reestablish, like, the Elliot household so that she could take the place of her mother and I just thought that was so cool um I like wish that we had gotten more of a glimpse of like who the mom was I mean we kind of did but like it would have been cool to have read about her when like the girls were young or something I mean that's probably impractical for like the plot of the book I think I mean just how everyone talked about her like made you want to know her yeah yeah, I think it's cool because you can like see 
I guess, her legacy a little bit, because you know that she, like, had to be, like, a financial wizard, because as soon as she died, they, like, went into debt, so I just think that was really cool, because she really, like, kept the household together, and then she died, and everything fell apart. Um, I too of like in the olden days where like women had to be like quieter but she obviously ruled the household she obviously held the purse strings and it's interesting yeah how like when she passed away everything completely fell apart and I wonder if like people in that society have noticed like would they have blamed her for not setting things up or like you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. what would they have like back in those days yeah I think it's cool because you can kind of see each like the daughters sort of reflecting their parents because Elizabeth obviously is like supposed to be like just like her father and then Anne is kind of often talked about as being like her mom and then I guess Mary is probably just like a mixture of the two because like she's not as bad as Elizabeth but she still like has some things that are kind of similar to her father that really annoy you so I think she's like I picked up on that she's like the stereotypical youngest child Mary is on my list of people that I am not the biggest fan. She's so not. Gonna... She's not on mine. I didn't actually mind her. I thought she was really funny. Um, like yeah, she was annoying and she was really pushy, but I thought like it was. I thought it was humorous. Oh, Mary. <laughs> I think that she is like. It's just that name, doesn't she? She likes the name Elizabeth and Mary. Those were the two. I read this in the annotated version. They're the two most popular Probably Victorian names. names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Mary, I think, it's interesting that she's, you know, like, the first one to get married, even though she's the youngest, which doesn't mean make that that's wrong or anything. I just think that she's just, like, really high-strung. <laughs> and I, so what bothered me, I think, is, like, her indifference from, like, her children. Yeah. Like, that is what, like, as someone, not that I have children, but just as, like, <laughs> someone, I don't know, as a woman, like, I'm just, like, I just don't like that she didn't seem to, like, give them the time of day. Mm-hmm. And that is what made me not like her. Because the fact, yeah, some of the things you write, Annie, like, were funny. Like, some of her, like, antics. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, that was, like, the the part where I was like, okay, I don't like you. I mean, I feel like it's, like, a bad sign <laughs> if your children like your, like, sister more. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> or, like, feel so refreshed when, like, Anne comes over and they, like, loved the time that she was there. And I'm like, I think that, you know, ants are great people and that they do get to spoil them more because they don't get to discipline them. But, like, Mary just, like, ah! And you see a little bit of her, like, parenting philosophy, I guess, because there, she has this one... I cannot be always scolding and teasing a poor child when it is ill. Yeah. So, like, that's what she sees her main role as a parent, which is kind of eye-opening. Yeah. And why she's okay with just, like, abandoning her children. Like, I didn't really like Mary was, I mean, yes, that, Susie kind of covered that one, but <laughs> I just felt like she was really annoying. And maybe it's because I'm also youngest child, but I felt like, you know, some things I could see, like, I could see similarities with her and I in terms of, like, being the youngest and just kind of, like, feeling like no one gives us our due sometimes. But at the same time, I just felt like she was me, like, 50 times worse. She always, like, changed her story a little bit, like, when it would be in favor of her. So, like, when Anne arrived, she was like, oh, why didn't you come earlier? I'm so sick. And then when they talk about going over to the Musgrove, she's like, oh, I'm feeling, like, so much better. I was better yesterday. So, 
she would just typical like, youngest child <laughs> to be like uh, uh, I can't go to school I don't want to go and, and then, then as soon like, as something oh, fun yeah it's like a field trip or something they're like oh I'm better How, who else did you have on your list um Elizabeth you want to start with like why you don't like her and then we can yeah there and so her. besides like the obvious like being mean there's that but I think like the biggest thing for me was towards the end when she showed up and tried to gain Captain Wentworth's interest and she like she knew about Anne's whole relationship with him and that just really bothered me that she would be so like openly like trying to steal her man like that yeah that was the big the big thing (laughs) as a sister that is breaking the code yeah like go after each other's men <laughs> and if, like you ever wanted to you'd have to have like a giant conversation and come to like an existential crisis of, like can we like the same person mm-hmm. like it's okay but it just shows but, how much she does not care about Anne because like the whole book I mean obviously Elizabeth is very vain and very concerned with, like, keeping up appearances with people. I also didn't like that it seemed like she wasn't really interested in him at the beginning, but then he, like, became an officer, and he mm-hmm. became, like, more successful. And she's like, ooh, maybe I should go after him. Yeah. And I feel like she almost had a mentality of, like, I'm older, I should get him. Yeah. She was, like, a, to me, she was, like, a spitting image of her father because she was super vain and just as stuck up. Like, they really cared about appearances, and that's, like, all they cared about. She never married because, like, there was never a guy who she loved for her. Yeah. yeah. Standards was, like, attractive enough. Even if, like, they were probably, like, wealthy enough, like, they weren't, like, attractiveness was something that she valued. Yeah. And she, like, went to all these lengths to keep her beauty and whatnot. And she never valued her sister's opinion. Whenever, yeah. like, she came, you know, around, whenever Anne was in the room and would, like, have anything of value to say, like, she would just basically ignore her. I don't feel bad at all that she didn't end up marrying or whatever. I, I'm like, you kind of got what you deserved. <laughs> like, <laughs> I no think she was kind of you. bitter, too, because if you, like, think about, like, Charles Musgrove didn't even, like, pay her any attention. He proposed to Anne, and she turned him down, and then he went down to the youngest. In like, in Victorian society, it was seen as, like, a virtue to, like, marry yeah. in the birth order. So it was kind of like she was just altogether rejected so I'm sure she's bitter about that too but she was a horrible judge of character in general she yeah attention to Lady Russell or her her, like trying to like love her and love her and like give her time and she just didn't she was just like some old crotchety woman to Elizabeth Mm -hmm. and she didn't care and Nick for you know that at all yeah and then she would have wanted she didn't care and I also think like I said she was a bad judge of character because she judged Wentworth to begin with as like oh like look at this little dirty rat kind of thing like (laughs) and then like she at the same time is like holding company with like a divorced woman Mm -hmm. who's clearly after her father's fortune yeah she was my other least favorite like oh I'm helping her because like I'm so superior and Blah blah blah, and yeah, no. Yeah. What did you think of Mrs. Clay? She was on my least favorite. Yep, that's what I have to. Do you have her too, Sir Walter? Um. See, I just felt bad for him. (laughs) I don't feel bad at all. He's like the reason that they had to move to Bath. 
because he's so frivolous. Yeah. Like, the, the one, so this is what I said about him, since I'm the only person who did him, apparently. I said, his vanity and obsession with keeping up standards almost led to his financial ruin. The fact that he has so many mirrors proves my point about his vanity. Like, Croft had to tell her that he removed all his mirrors. That <laughs> cracked me up. I was laughing mm-hmm. so hard. And he was like, only one mirror sufficient <laughs> for me. That's how I pictured him talking. Like, I really valued, you know, Anne's opinion because he didn't think she looked pretty and youthful enough anymore. And he ostracized himself from people who could have been good friends with him. Um, but because, like, they either had inferior station or beauty, he decided he didn't like them and didn't have anything to do with them. So, I mean, there was just, like, so much about him that I was, I was like, no, like, you're supposed to be a father figure, you're supposed to be, you know, supportive of all your children, and he didn't do that, he only really, like, his, Elizabeth was his favorite, and it was clear, because mm-hmm. she was just like him, and yeah. he, like, wasn't willing to, like, do what needed to be done to bring his house back up to standards, he would rather have the humiliation of letting his house to someone else mm-hmm. of inferior station than just doing without some, you know, some luxuries, like having a maid here and there, or like some horses here and there. It's interesting too, how like, yeah, you can see him and Elizabeth, like how they mirrored each other. Yeah. Which goes back to again, like what was their mother like? Yeah. She, she, she was like Anne. Because yeah. that's what Lady Russell liked, liked her so much, right? Yeah. yeah. Sensible, she's practical. And And maybe that's why, like, Sir Walter and Elizabeth didn't like Anne, because they reminded her, reminded them so much of the mother. That's a truth nugget. And they didn't want to be pushed (laughs) around to have to make sacrifices. Mm Mm-hmm. Mrs. Clay. I had another point about that. So she is, like, another example in the book where you see people just abandoning their children, because she had two children from a previous marriage, and then she just left them to follow Sir Walter and Elizabeth around. So that was kind of a theme that I, like, saw in the book, but we'll get to that also later. She seemed like a social climber. Yeah. Like, she saw an opportunity and was like, ooh, let's take it. Yes. Yeah, she's a gold digger. So obvious, too. Like, I don't, to everyone. Yeah, except for... Sir Walter and Elizabeth. Okay, wait. Mm-hmm. I have one more thing to add about my least favorites. So, I don't know if you could tell, but my three least favorites were all Anne's family. <laughs> and the reason I chose that was because at the end, it clearly it says, well, I noticed, and I was like, well, I guess this isn't, like, shocking, but at the end it <laughs> says, you know, how she felt bad, like, Anne felt bad marrying Wentworth because she knew she had nothing to give him. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, she had some money. Not a ton, because her dad was ridiculous. Yeah, he couldn't even afford to give her her full yeah, dowry. Couldn't. Mm-hmm. couldn't afford to do that. And beyond that, I mean, she said, like, she had no family relations of value to give him. And that, to me, was really telling. That was, like, Jane Austen's final, like, uh, of, like, look at this family. Look how ridiculous they are in their different ways. Mm-hmm. Don't be like that. And to me, that was, like, okay, it was very telling, the fact that she had to, like, point that out. But, like, Anne had nothing, no family relation of value to give him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of sad. Um, I had one more least favorite. Louisa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> almost on my list. I, oh, so when she fell I off the cliff, favorite, when I read that part of her falling off the cliff, I wasn't like, uh, this is such an awkward scene. It was like, uh, good riddance, Louisa. I, like, low-key hoped she had died. <laughs> no, 
like, yes! Yes. <laughs> Captain Wentworth basically persuaded her to be this, like, like independent, decisive person. Um, so it kind of shows that, like, that's not really her character. And then she tries to do it, and she fails at it, so. You could see her even trying to, like, pretend like she was that person when she was, like, downgrading and degrading her sister's character. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she, like, she and her sister were both interested in Captain Wentworth, and then she purposefully made her sister and um, Charles Hayter, like, reconnect. Yeah. It was just kind of malicious to me, and I do not like Louisa at all. Yeah. So that she was my just... other. I really liked Henrietta, though. I almost put her as one of my favorites, but she's just, like, not developed enough to be, like, yeah. the top. But yeah. I loved her. Um... Henrietta is so charming. Mm-hmm. You know, She's just so, so nice. nice. <laughs> charming. You know, you don't, we don't like Louisa, but I did like, however, how when she was talking to Wentworth, she did say, we would have rather had Anne. Mary Charles Musgrove. Yeah. No. I was like, yes! <laughs> yeah, you're like, this pump! Lady Russell kind of blinded herself because of class to how Elliot truly was. Because mm-hmm. Anne the whole time, you know, was kind of getting, I don't know, intuit- intuition about how he wasn't all there. She didn't think that he had the best character because she couldn't ever really glean what his character was when they interacted. But I feel like Lady Russell kind of just dismissed that and kind of like overlooked it because her real dream was to see Anne as mistress of, you know, Kelly and sure whatever, however we say that. Um the hall, you know, where she grew up and everything. I think that was, like, her primary goal was, like, oh, Elliot seems like a reasonable guy. Yeah. He's going to be parroting it. So, therefore, you know, like, I have no qualms about you. Yeah. And, again, it was the whole, like, Elliot name, too, because Anne would still be Elliot. So she could truly, like, replace her mother mm-hmm. in their role because she would I become the mistress cool. of the hall. Like, their name comes first in that society, but their true character is hidden behind it. And so even if they're, like, bad people or have bad motives, they have the name. And so, yeah, it's the whole thing, too, where it's, like, just hush up until you're married. Like, don't show your true, true self until you're married. But I think it's, yeah. I mean, I think, worth I think for that, it's more like they were family. So, you know, you would assume your family would be on the up and up. But yeah. it turns out he wasn't. And you wouldn't really assume that because, you know, they're, like, cousins. You wouldn't think your cousin would be lying to you about their entire life. So I think that was also a major factor in that. Yeah. 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 I just, I mean, Elliot's scum, so. (laughs) Yeah. He's Um, just, like, below the belt horrible. I don't know if I like him, if I dislike him more or less than, um, what's his face from Pride and Prejudice? Mr. Collins. No, no, no. No. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Wickham? I can't decide. Is it Wickham or is that Sense and Sensibility? I can't decide if I dislike Wickham or if I... She has this. This is like a thing over and over in her books. That there's this like one guy who's like he looks really appealing and he has it all. Yeah. And then he turns out to be a monster. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, bulky monster. Yeah, that was Mr. Elliot. Well, he's not as bad as Wickham because he didn't try to, like, you know, 
take a girl's virginity and then, you know, force her to marry him, force her family to, like, pay him off to marry her. Yeah. Well, he but, but Elliot did, like, cause the financial ruin of, you know, Mrs. Smith mm-hmm. and her husband and then left Mrs. Smith basically penniless and did yeah. help her yeah. afterwards to, like, get some of the stuff that they'd invested. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I almost feel like they're kind of equal a little bit because like the impact that they had on both like both people's lives were I mean family and person I mean it was huge Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay so I had you both list a theme so do you want to share let's start with Susie okay um one of the themes that I saw that we kind of touched on already was that of like I'm kind of like a new gentleman like back in the day you had to be like Sir Walter which is like a traditional gentleman like land owning good name huge like history Um, but what's really prominent in persuasion is this new gentleman that's like a naval officer Um, someone who's not necessarily land owning or has the longevity and history of a title but they are making a name for themselves because they're making their own fortune. They seem to have really, really good manners and they seem to be like accepted by society. Now they're not the same high social rank as like the people that have the history. Um, but I think it's just interesting how this also touches on like social mobility, how like social mobility and social flexibility is seeming to become more of a thing with Persuasion. And Persuasion was also Jane Austen's, like, last novel. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense that this theme is kind of more prevalent as, like, time is going on. Obviously, Jane Austen's still kind of very traditional. Um, not very, but, like, you know, she understands the way things are, obviously, with the marriage plot and how people still have to do things a certain way. But I, I was really interested to see, yeah, how, like, what, what was it? Like, didn't Sir Walter hate naval officers, though, because it was, like, disdainful that they're using mm-hmm. this as a way of social flexibility? Them and, like, well, clergymen. Because of their looks. Because mm-hmm. they're all old and crotchety. You get freckles. <laughs> yeah, he said that. Didn't he call him orange-looking? Like, leathery. Yeah. Leather. Yeah. That's just something that I noticed that wasn't necessarily, like, the whole naval officer using... Like, it was a little bit in her other books, but I think it was just more Yeah, this. Yeah, I think Navy or naval officers were just so bad to Sir Walter because it was, like, stepping up yeah. in class and you look horrible, so. You look horrible. You know, like, the <laughs> ideals of what it means to be a gentleman. Like, mm-hmm. Sir Walter had one, like, the box, like, a gentleman or these things. Yeah. But, like, society is changing and other people are getting the, the distinction of, like, a gentleman. Yeah, and you see that at, like, the very beginning when he's looking through the book, the Baronetage. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. But so that's just, like, the whole, like, the historical barons. And then these new gentle class is rising up because of occupation. So he doesn't like changing classes because of your, like, life events. He just sees your name as the most important. So, Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was, like, an interesting distinction was, like, you kind of saw, like Susie said, like, gentlemen in name and gentlemen in how they acted. Do you want to talk about your theme, Shannon? There, I kind of already talked about it a little bit, but um, 
the main one I kind of saw was that you shouldn't let people form opinions of of people's characters for you. You should do it yourself. I felt like um, people, i.e. Anne, was persuaded several different ways um, throughout the book. And it wasn't even just Anne. There was a lot of people who were persuaded um, different ways, like Lady Russell. We kind of talked about her a little bit, how mm-hmm. she was persuaded, you know, to think Elliot was great because of his name and um, not based on, like, what she actually felt about him. But it was just, like, she was kind of blinded to that. And I don't know. That was just the main theme that I kept seeing like, come up the whole time. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is the title of the book, so. Yes, 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 it was. I just kept feeling like that was, like, the thing that I kind of gleaned from the book of, like, this is the take-home that I want to, like, learn from, because I, like, like I said, I feel like her books oftentimes have a general message. I mean, and not even in just her books that are titled Persuasion or whatever, like Emma, even, or, you know, Lady Susan. So mine was just the whole idea of, like, leaving your children behind. It's not not as serious as Shannon's theme was, but we just see it, like, three times in the book. So we see, like, Mary does not care. So she <laughs> she just, like, left them with the servants when she went to Bath. Or not Bath, to Lyme. Like, she let the servants raise her kids for, like, two weeks. And then... It was really interesting because she wrote that letter to Anne later in the book about how Mrs. Harville could leave her children because they sent, she sent her kids to the Musgrove's house. And so she's like, I can't understand why a mother would leave her children for like a week. And it's just very ironic because she did the exact same thing. And she's like, oh, I, I can't do anything with my kids. You take care of them. Um, and then we also see Mrs. Clay leaving her kids behind for years so just because she's evil so yeah I just don't understand they just also the fact that she ends up with Elliot yeah I did not think that that was very like neatly tied up but um I feel like it was feasible because of how much he like disliked her yeah it does it did not make sense to me um and actually this book it talks about how that like doesn't really make sense especially in like Victorian society but yeah, so that was just the thing that I saw, and then for what dis- was the time you said there was like three times. Yeah, so it was Mary, Mrs. Clay, and Mrs. Harville. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and they each had like different motives for doing it. I think Mrs. Clay because she's evil, Mary because she's just very ignorant about what parents are supposed to do, and then Mrs. Harville because she was actually caring for people. There was not physically room for everybody in that house. I wonder if Mary didn't really know what to do as a parent because she was, like, the youngest child. Mm-hmm. Like, she had the least amount of time. With her with mother. Mm. So I wonder if that impacted how she viewed motherhood because she was the youngest. She was the first to get married. She didn't have her older sisters ahead of her having kids or, like, showing her what motherhood was. And she was just thrown into it. And maybe she just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that's an excuse because I think that there is, like, a natural – intuition because maybe even mary um reprimanding the other woman was because she maybe felt guilty like she knew Mm. what she was supposed to be doing she wasn't doing it how does like the themes that are happening in persuasion like how does that reflect like jane austen's society i mean we kind of sort of touched on like a lot of different parts of it throughout Mm -hmm. our conversation but i'll like reiterate some of the stuff that you know struck me 
I was talking about Mary earlier a lot about how she was the youngest and, you know, needed to kind of stay her claim, but also just like her place in society as a woman mm-hmm. was just like very evident to me because of like how, you know, she just kind of kept being like left out and kept being like, why am I not getting invited to stuff or whatever? Why do I have to stay home with the kids? That's like a very societal thing for a very long time that like the woman's job was to be with the kids home and you know whatever the husband needed to do for I don't know because he had like a lot of different kinds of duties like you know shooting even to like make sure like the game stayed in a certain range and like making sure he's like going over to people's houses and keeping good company with like his neighbors or whatever um but it was like her job was to like you know, be a hostess if they had people over and then to, like, take care of the kids. And it was, like, very kept, uh, I don't know, kind of getting shoved down your throat a little bit um, about the fact that she was a woman and didn't really want that role. It was kind of clear to me that, like, she didn't like her role, that she was kind of dealt. I did not really see it that way, honestly. Like, Mary, I just thought was kind of like an exception. She was just very selfish and wanted to do whatever she wanted to do. But I did have a question later on about gender roles, so we can like skip to that because that sounds like where we're going. (laughs) What I read, I felt actually like women were given a lot of responsibility. So I felt actually like it wasn't this, oh, you need to stay home with the kids. You aren't allowed to leave the house. I didn't really get that. So because she was like really the only person that we really got to see with, like, kid interactions, because, like, yeah. we saw, you know, Clay and Harville, like, sending their kids away, but we didn't really see their interactions, like, with their parents. Yeah, I think, so, though, the interaction I gained from that. Yeah, I think with, okay, if you look at, like, how, like, the household structure was, so basically in the, the Elliot house, so after the mom died, Elizabeth was made mistress of the house, and she was in charge of like, finances and everything. So she was in charge of the house. And basically, Sir Walter just, like, went out and spent his money and just did what he wanted to, I guess. But he was not the one who was in charge. And Elizabeth is the one that everybody would come to. Like, she was the one in charge of staying in contact with Anne when she was traveling. And it was all Elizabeth's role to run the household. It was her financial responsibility, though, because I think... I think her and Sir Walter kind of did it together. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying she did a good job, but in Victorian society, it was it was the mistress's job, the mistress of the house. It was her job. She had like no dealings at all with the finances. I think that the man seemed to be in charge of like the public sphere, Mm -hmm. like how the family is presented in like the world's domain, like their name, like he's in charge of like you know, keeping up, like, the appearances technically, but I think the woman was in charge of, like, the private sphere and all that that entailed. I think that, like, she ran the household, ordered the servants, actually did, like, the finances, mm-hmm. and I think she did, like, what obviously keeps them, like, counting and keeping books, you know? Like, huh? I feel like that requires, like, some sort of an education that you get, like, at college to be able to, like, count and, like, keep financial books. I think that the woman actually did it. I'm not sure. Um, There's a note in here that talks about it. I can't find it at the moment. Because it kind of seemed like in a lot of the books, the men just go out and talk. And 
three barons and they like go and do and like hunt and sports and that kind of stuff and the women like get down and like make their life possible yeah i don't i don't know where the note is but it definitely talked about how the women were the ones who was who were inspected to like take charge of the household um but I thought that was really cool. I feel like the author might be a Jane Austen kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I think that Jane Austen and her family, they did have a little bit more freedom. But there also is that, that story, but facts like Jane Austen would write her books with, like, the creaky door, like, in a certain way because she wasn't actually allowed to do that. I feel like a lot of her book is, like, reflected in herself. But I felt kind of like she idealized men, like, her main protagonist men who are supposed to be really amazing um because like it's kind of seen over and over and over again where like a guy or a girl who has like a larger fortune um them getting like someone who doesn't basically which like like but marrying for love and not necessarily for wealth which i feel like in victorian society that wasn't necessarily the rule I felt like that's more of an exception hmm. than a rule. And it's not in every single of her novels. I won't say it's in every single one because Emma, they're about the same in terms of like financial, you know, yeah. wealth and like station and class. So like the person she ends up with. So, I mean, I won't say that that's like the absolute only thing she does, but I, I've just seen that where like, it seemed like this, this here, like Wentworth was this penniless guy and, she was, like, the one who was wealthy, and she said no. I mean, in Pride and Prejudice, Darcy was, like, really wealthy, and, you know, Bennett's mm-hmm. weren't extremely that wealthy, so it was, like, kind of, like, marrying down a little bit for him um, because of her family and because of, like, the amount that they made. Well, so, that, like, I feel like that that's kind of idealized because, mm-hmm. I mean, we see over and over again in history that people do not marry for love, that they married for... At least in that sphere, they married for wealth and for station. Yeah. So. No, I agree that it's definitely idealized. I just don't think it's romanticized to the point where it's, like, something that would never happen. I think Mike Jane Austen may have seen it happen. Yeah. Maybe. Like, but it didn't happen for her. Like, that's why the guy she loved didn't marry her, because he needed to marry for wealth. Yeah. Literally why, and she had a broken heart. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that kind of comes out in her writing a lot of yeah. like, oh, look, wealth and money doesn't matter all the time. And some people do marry for love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would you answer the question discussed by Anne and Captain Harville? So the question is, who falls out of love first, men or women? That's essentially the question. That's so hard, Annie. I feel like in, in the I book. Like the was so different back then. I mean, not so different, but I feel like men today are probably not exactly the same as men back then. Maybe, maybe so. It's just hard to know without having lived in that both time eras. But I don't know. I I know like of a lot of men today, I'm not saying all, but a lot of men's emotion is subdued. So it's like you don't really necessarily always see it. Um, Whereas like I, I mean, I'm like an emotional basket case. Like... (laughs) I'll cry during sappy movies, sappy TV shows, whatever. I'll get really invested. Even books, I'll get, like, invested and start crying. Mm-hmm. Even audiobooks, really, same. it doesn't matter. I'll, same, same. I'll cry. Um, obviously, not all women are like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't 
choose like one over the other because I feel like it's a case by case basis. That's my answer. I think that it's really hard to like just say like all men or all women because I think that like some women, some men can be more emotional than some women, and some women like mostly are more emotional than men. But I do like I agree with Shannon that's kind of like case by case. If people are genuinely in love, it's almost yeah like it's equal. Yeah, I know. I I talked to Mason about this because that's what we do. And he said that he, like, read somewhere that men tend to hold on. Like, there was a study done or something where it shows that men tend to, like, hold on to, like, those relationships longer. I just think that's interesting because I would have automatically been, like, women because we are more emotional. I mean, that's kind of what Anne says, too. But Captain Harville says that men, they're just stronger in, like, what they do. So they tend to hold on longer but I don't know I just thought that was really interesting let's talk about what we rated the book on Goodreads because I'm obsessed with Goodreads um so I can start I gave it a four stars um the only reason I didn't give it five stars is the ending I just didn't think it tied it up very well and I think that might have to do with the fact that this was her last novel and she was dying as she wrote it so I can I can excuse that a little bit (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah, but that was, like, the only major qualm I had with the book was the ending. Yeah, I gave it four stars as well um, for pretty similar reasons. I just think not everything was developed. Well, I really, really liked it overall. And so, full stars. Um, I think, so I gave it four stars. My reasons, like, aren't exactly the same as you guys. Annie's, um, since she introduced me to Goodreads, and kind of told me how she gives out stars, I kind of, like, realized, you know, like, is this, I kind of have started thinking of it more as, like, it's like, is this the best novel quality that I've ever read? Yeah, like, does this change my life? (laughs) Yeah, and I really enjoyed it thoroughly, but it wasn't, like, this isn't, like, life-changing, it's not the best novel, like, I've ever read. Yeah. And so, therefore, I'm not going to give it five stars, because I really did enjoy it, but kind of, like, just some stuff, like, it didn't really wrap up. Like, it was just kind of really abrupt, and, like I said, it wasn't, like, life-changing. Having read this Jane Austen novel, is it likely that you would want slash desire to read another one of her novels? Yeah. So, for me... Explain it. <laughs> so, back in high school, when I read Pride and Prejudice, I guess I just decided that I didn't like Jane Austen. I know it was horrible. And then... I was, like, trying to figure out a book to read, and somebody mentioned Persuasion and that it's a lot different than all the other Jane Austen novels. And I think that this being written towards the end of her life helped, I guess. Um, Because with Pride and Prejudice, I felt like it just took a lot of different, like, tangents, and there were a lot of side stories. So this book was a lot more streamlined. So, yeah, after this book, I would say yes, that I would read another one. But I'm not sure I would enjoy it as much. I've always really liked Jane Austen. Um, I read Emma, Persuasion, Pride and Prejudice. Um, I've sort of read Northern Gravity, kind of. You read Possibility? <laughs> yeah. Like, so I've read a lot of them. Um, and I do really like her. And I, it was, I was interested in how Persuasion is different mm-hmm. than others. I think that she wrote this, like, what, like six months before she died? Yeah, and this was yeah, her last one. Yeah, like, sort of sudden yeah I can really you can really tell in persuasion that she has more life experience that she's seen more she's observed more she's 
you know, she's been through just because, like, I think the first three books that she wrote, she wrote before she was 25. That's, like, our age. Like, she wrote <laughs> before these things had happened to us, um, which is just blows my mind. Um, but I really enjoy Persuasion, and I hadn't read it before, and I really am glad that I had. Um, it is darker than the other book, but I think there's just, like, a lot of truth into it. And I do like how she brings in, like, reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and her other ones, too, like, reality into Pride and Prejudice, reality into Emma, reality into this. Um, and it is true that, like, her writing style is not for everyone. But mm-hmm. I've always liked it. So, yes. Like, I'm interested to finish it off and read all of the books now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess for me, I mean, I would say yes. Because <laughs> I kind of grew up with, I mean, I I read now three of her novels. Um, I've seen, like, I think, <laughs> all of the movies of all of the novels. So, I haven't, you know, read every single book. But I know the general gist of all of them. And I would say I kind of agree with Annie a little bit about Pride and Prejudice. I definitely want to reread it now that I'm older, but I did read it in high school, and I kind of felt like (laughs) I didn't understand, like, a lot of the context behind it, a lot of the societal um, things that, like, probably would have made so much sense back then but just, like, didn't make sense, kind of went over my head. It is true that I didn't, like, truly love and Prejudice until like the third time that I read mm-hmm. it. I feel like also I kind of cheated because I I had watched the movies and so I kind of <laughs> felt like I was expecting a really streamlined version and it wasn't and so it was like really difficult for me to get through but I think you know moving forward now that I'm older I was really able to appreciate Persuasion mm-hmm. much more than I appreciated like the previous books I've read. Yeah. That It'd be they were really about. interesting for like yeah. Shannon if we both reread Pride and Prejudice to see how we feel about it now. tuning in to our conversation on persuasion and our very first episode of Reading Minds. I hope that this conversation persuaded you to either pick up the book for the first time or read it again. I also hope you decide to read To Kill a Mockingbird with us for our next discussion. I will be linking all of the teas we were drinking and the editions of the book we read as well as our Goodreads accounts in the description so be sure to check those out. But for now, enjoy this fun outtake from our conversation and we'll see you next time. Bye friends! That whole scene where they're at the concert and she's like trying to talk to Wentworth, I, I just that was my favorite part of the whole book. Dragging up, I'm like calm yourself down. I just think she was like every woman in that moment, and like those little moments where he like peels the child off of her back and helps her into the carriage, and she's like, "What does it mean?" I was like, "You are literally every woman right now." Yeah. Yeah. She was like trying to like your way to like the edge. Of yeah. The <laughs> I'm like, this is so like. She's like, if we can me. just make eye contact once, then I will know he loves it me. Was, it was so accurate. It was. Like-